Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here without my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Just kind of doing a little bit of an introduction here. The entirety of this episode is a fantastic interview that we did with our buddy Mark Schofield, who uh, you might know his work uh, from the Sco Show. He's done a lot of stuff for Pat's Pulpit, USA Today, you name it. He's been around. Uh, Just a phenomenal draft analyst. And we kind of just bullshitted for over an hour on all things draft. It was a great conversation, so much so that EJ and I, when we recorded it a few weeks ago, we decided right then and there that that would be its own episode. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show. It's a great interview. Here's our buddy, Mark Schofield. We're joined here by Mark Schofield, staff writer and quarterback guru for the USA Today's Touchdown Wire, also host the Sco Show podcast for Pat's Pulpit. Uh, SB Nation's Patriots site, EJ and I also being veterans of SB Nations ourselves. Uh, we've we've been watching and enjoying Mark's work for quite a long time. Uh, also played quarterback at Wesleyan University, by the way, little known fact, four-year letter winner, and uh, also reformed lawyer, self-described. Mark, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for joining us. Uh, how's your draft season been? I'm alive, Brett. Um, guys, Brett, EJ, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be alive. I, I've said it before on the Bird app that this draft season might be the one that finally ends me. Um, yeah, you I, say I, that every through, year. I, <laughs> Lauren Cox, who hosts Locked on Bears, yeah, Lauren's when, awesome. when I tweeted that recently, he was like, I feel like I read this tweet every March. And it's like, yeah, you probably have, because every draft cycle pretty much gets me one step closer to the grave. Um, it still beats working for a living, I'll say that. But it's it's been a grind. Um, some of the takes, especially the closer we get, are, you know, ludicrous speed. Let's just put it that way. When you, <laughs> we've gotten to the point, it's like the Nate Peterman cycle of the draft, where oh. – you remember Davis Webb, you remember Tom Savage, you remember Nathan Peterman, these quarterbacks that get that buzz that's like, man, somebody's going in the first round out of this group. This year, maybe it's Davis Mills. I mean, we've heard Davis Mills buzz in the past couple of days, which is which is buzz, I guess. But that's where <laughs> we're at, guys. And we still got, what, four weeks to go? Four yeah, weeks from two- uh- Three-ish, it's coming, but I'm with you. This season is always – it's a ton of fun. It's what a lot of us really enjoy and live for, and and we have these chats. I'm lucky enough to have been able to know you for a while now, and I've learned so much talking to you about quarterbacks, just like one of our previous guests, Brandon Thorne, talking to Brandon about offensive line. For me, I'm, I'm just a sponge in those moments. It's amazing, and we're just excited to get a chance to talk to you about all these guys, because there's always a lot of focus on quarterback quarterback is top of the draft, top of the talk, why people trade uh, the intrigue about who's going where, if somebody gets drafted, it shakes the entire league. So we're so happy to have you and be able to talk about all of these players because there's a bunch of them and uh, we'll get into it. How do you feel this class compares to the previous draft class? I mean, I, I what's interesting about this group is it's tremendous at the top. I mean, the top five guys, mm-hmm. you can put them in almost any order you want. Um, I, I could see a pathway to all of them being successful NFL quarterbacks early in their careers. Now, look, they they, they will need like, you know, the right fit, the right landing, landing spot. You know, some are more scheme dependent than others. But that group at the top, I really like. 
usually though i'm the guy that's like well look these guys at the top are fantastic but let me tell you about brett ripping all right let me tell you about brett because <laughs> brett ripping my friends you know I was, you know, I was on the top of that hill. I'm still there. But what I'm trying to say is, like, usually I'm the guy that's like this. Forget about the guys at the top, the guys at the end of the draft, the guys you'll be hearing their name called on day three. There are some diamonds here. This isn't exactly that year. This isn't exactly the year where you're like, you know, if you miss on a quarterback in the first round, you'll find somebody in the second or you'll find somebody in the third that is a starter caliber type player. But, you know, maybe they'll slide for one reason or another, like a Drew Locke who slid or, you know, some other quarterbacks that have slid in the draft. This isn't the year for that. You know, Mel Kuyper said it a couple of weeks ago, and I think he's exactly right. If you need a quarterback, it's either the top five or bust right now. Mm-hmm. Because guys like Mond, guys like Mills, guys like Newman, guys like Trask, like they have things that they could do, but they're all, I think, more developmental types than anything else. And you, you might get one of them to an environment, like say Kyle Trask somehow lands in Tampa Bay and, gets to learn from Bruce Arians and Brian Rift Leftwich and Tom Brady. Like, sure, maybe that could work, but it's still a roll of the dice. I think teams that need quarterback and have a pressing need at the position, they have to get one of these five. And that's why you're hearing and seeing so much movement. That's why the 49ers traded three future, two future first and this year's first to maybe draft Mac Jones. I mean, that's where we're at because it's these guys are bust. Is that why you feel like Carolina gave up some picks for Sam Darnold is because they didn't think they were going to be able to get one because there was going to be so many trades flying. I mean, it's possible we could go one, two, three, four. To yeah. Start right. this thing I, with quarterback. And I, I think they once the Niners came up to three, they looked at it and like, we might at best get QB five, you know, and maybe their QB five is Lance. Maybe it's Jones, whoever, but they're like, we don't know if that's not a certainty right now. So maybe we'll just take a shot on Sam Darnold because we don't want to leave it to fate. We don't have want to have to pay what it might cost to go up and get QB five when we can roll the chances, you know, roll the dice with Sam Darnold. And maybe look, if, if anybody can fix Sam Darnold, it might be Joe Brady. We've seen what Joe Brady can do conceptually, schematically, you know, the things that he can do, the empty formations, the half field reads and things like that, that he did with Joe Burrow at LSU, some of what you did with Teddy Bridgewater last year. I think that could help Sam Darnold. I think, look, you look at Robbie Anderson, you know, obviously Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson know each other, Christian McCaffrey. You could start filling in some weapons around, you know, DJ Moore. That's could be an offense that could come together. And so I, I think that was Carolina's decision. That was their thought process, thought process which was just – we could settle for QB5. We might have to trade up to get QB5. Why don't we take some agency? You know, we'll trade for Sam Darnold. And now we can go in a couple of different directions at eight. If we see four QBs, a tackle, and a wide receiver in front of them, and maybe another quarterback, Kyle Pitts could fall to them. You know, what does that Ooh. Carolina offense look like? Ooh. Kyle Pitts with Joe Brady and those weapons. I mean, I don't know if Kyle Pitts falls all, all the way to eight, but he might. Or you dangle Kyle Pitts to Jerry Jones and say, give me the picks back that we just spent on Darnold. You can have one shiny brand new Kyle Pitts. Yeah. I mean, you know, sign Jerry up, you know. And meanwhile, the rest of the scouting department is like trying to get to the phone because they're like, look, we need a quarterback. <laughs> we can't cover anybody. But Jerry's like, no, 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 no. I got this, guys. Oh, God. I uh, Have you um, given any thought to – Let's say you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. You have Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and Penny Sewell on the board at Cincinnati at five. Where are you going? I can understand. Like I know that's been the debate right now. Is you know Sewell or Chase, right? And you've you've seen like people mocked up graphics of Burrow getting sacked while he's trying to throw to Chase because nobody can protect him. <laughs> you know, we all thought they were going to go offensive line. They've given themselves the out, though. They've given themselves the out of, you know, with Reef. Yes, Jonah Williams, they've got two tackles. Like, I could understand why they might go in a different direction. But I think you have to learn the lesson of last year, which was you had to go empty and try to get the ball out of Burrow's hands quickly because you couldn't protect him. And if you can't protect the quarterback, especially the young asset, you're just asking for trouble. You're asking for a David Carr situation. That's the last thing mm. I think you wanted for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I'd still go, Sewell. I mean, I it's hard to pass on Pitts. It's hard to pass on Chase. But I think, you know, as much as you'd like to get weapons for Burrow, you got to protect the guy too because he, he can't throw from his back. And, yes, you just added a tackle, but 
you know, maybe Sewell, you can kick him inside. You got to figure out the front five before anything else. Yeah. And you can do that in this draft. That's the funky thing about this is usually tackle is the position that resembles what you described quarterback as in this draft, which is if you need a top flight protector at tackle, you're getting him in the first half, first two thirds of the first round. And after that, yeah, there's project guys and guys that can develop them. This year, you're going to be able to get guys that start on the edge in round two. So that leaves the sort of conundrum for the Bengals of is, yeah, I mean, is Pitts or Chase good enough to maybe to take that gamble and say these guys are the weapons? Because five receivers later, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the tricky one would be Pitts, right? Because the tight end class, it's really Pitts and maybe Pat Frymuth. And after that, I just it. don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. It's and, a shelf. You know, and if you pass on pits at five, you're threading that needle that Frymuth is there at 38, and he might not be. So I think that's the tougher one because, you know, if you, you know, you pass on the tackle at five, Dylan Raditz, Liam Eikenberg, Jalen Mayfield, like Tevin Jenkins, like you get deeper into this tackle class. There are options there. Yep. You know, if you pass on the wide receiver, you know, okay, so you don't get Chase. Well, Deami Brown might be there at 38, mm -hmm. or Nico Collins might be there at 38, mm -hmm. or some of these slot guys, maybe Elijah Moore somehow falls to 38. Well, pairing him with T. Higgins, that's mighty nice. So you can go in different directions. So I think almost it's like the more difficult one would be passing on pitch because he's the one. Like, yeah. If you need a he's tight end, did you pass on him? I've been watching all these uh, SEC DBs, and so invariably you end up watching a lot of Kyle Pitts when you watch yeah. SEC DBs. And I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a different species, man. It's and it's that's a just different it. kind like, of guy. All these defenses, they were like, okay, JC Horn, look, you, you got to go cover Kyle Pitts. Like, <laughs> you got to go do that because we don't have everybody. Like, Pitts caught a touchdown on a slant route working against somebody else, not J.C. Horn. And Mukuama, Mukuama, yeah. Yeah, and like the rest of the game, it was like, okay, well, wherever he goes, J.C., you got to go there. I mean, we were, that's the kind of player he is. We were just talking about that play uh, last night or night before because what he runs a slant against Mukuama. <laughs> Watch what happens right after that. Mukuama literally looks at Horn and goes, and Horn's yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know. They just look at each other like, Horn's well, like, I mean, you're not going to cover it. It started early in that game because they had the back shoulder the to back pitch. shoulder against Horn. And Horn's Sounds like good. literally riding him out of bounds, like played it perfectly, and it doesn't matter. Because I mean Pitts has the wingspan of a 737. Like you can't yeah. you can't stop the guy. But then you got draft Twitter giving Kyle Trask credit for that throw. And it's like there's one human being on planet Earth that even makes that throw work. And it's right. Kyle Pitts. <laughs> it's right. Like, what right. do you want? What do you want? Three of us could put that throw up there, and Kyle Pitts is going to come down with it. Like that's <laughs> that's what he is. And pass it on him. I think that's good. That's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, even these teams look. Even Jacksonville at one is probably looking at Kyle Pitts and thinking, maybe right. Like Gardner Minshew is that bad? Like right. we can. Kyle Pitts, yeah, he, he can, you can see Gardner the guys in the draft room going, Gardner's is well, equal to Trask. Like, yeah. could, could we trade a, a pick in the top of the third round for Jimmy G and roll with Kyle Pitts? And I mean, you, at least you wouldn't be bad. I mean, you, you wouldn't be you, bad. I mean, you start thinking about entertaining. that. You got your Pitts, you got Robinson, you got Chark, you got Chenault. Oh, and Colin Johnson, too. Yeah. I He's mean, fun. He started to come you, on at the end you, of last You're year. starting to piece together an offense that's almost quarterback agnostic. Oh man. I'm just saying. I'm just no, saying. I'm, it's, <laughs> I love the chaos, Mark. I love yeah, the chaos. I mean, look, I'm all for like draft chaos. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm all for Urban Meyer being like, you know what? I really like this Mac Jones kid. You know, I don't want I don't want Kyle Shanahan getting his hands on Mac Jones. So I'm going to draft Mac Jones one, and then just all of draft Twitter just having a complete meltdown because Mac Jones is slowly tearing at the fabric of every group chat, every group of friends, every website. Their writers are starting to fight over Mac Jones because there are people out there now that are just like, I hope he succeeds because he'll make us all look like idiots. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm all for chaos, EJ. I, I, I haven't been it. monitoring. Uh, I haven't been monitoring Fuchillo, but uh, I got to find his Twitter feed, the, like the Niners Nation Twitter feed, when they inevitably take Matt. Because even Schefter's saying it now. It's like they're taking Matt. Niners Matt Twitter right now is literally on a knife's edge. Like 
you you could if you want to instigate Niners Twitter, just say that you heard from somebody that knows Kyle Shanahan that it's indeed Mac Jones, and just step back. I mean, it's literally just like tossing the match. You're pulling the pin. They're man, it, it's it's chaos over there. I mean, it's it's like the fight scene in Dodgeball. I mean, they're just killing each other over there. And it, which has caused a ripple effect in Falcons Twitter because now they're like. Justin Fields is going to be there at four. Yeah, I would. I did a Justin show. Justin Fields with, uh, is going to be there for. <laughs> I did a show today with Aaron Freeman or Locked On Falcons. We we did it. We recorded a two part quarterback show, and the underlying tremor was did the Falcons pass on Kyle Pitts because they could get Justin Fields. Like it's the it, only player I would pass on Pitts for. Yeah. I mean, realistically, like, yeah. I mean, you can make a case for Chase versus Pitts, depending on. I mean, I, I think for Atlanta, you know, you look at Arthur Smith, 12 personnel, two tight ends. Like the, the Atlanta path for me, since they did this Matt Ryan restructure. So you probably tied yourself to Matt Ryan for two seasons. You draft Pitts at four. You've got Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts as your tight ends. Julio and Ridley as your receivers. And then Gurley. And if you could get Javante Williams at the top of the second round, suddenly you're putting together what Arthur Smith had in Tennessee. And you can make that work with Matt Ryan for a season or two. You know, the other thing to keep in mind with Atlanta is, you know, they'll have to get into the quarterback market down the road. So when everybody, like the Patriots on up, is calling them to come up to four to draft Justin Fields, you could get those future first-round picks and give yourself that opportunity down the road two years from now to fix the quarterback position overnight. Yeah, because you're going to have DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young. Um, the 2023 quarterback class is is going to be one just like this one, which yeah. is coincidentally when Matt Ryan becomes cuttable. Yep. Just saying. Yeah. And if you get a first-round pick, I actually think that's the play because if you're at four and the entire world wants to come to four to get whoever's left, yep. especially if Fields is there, you do exactly that. You pay it forward. You give yourself a first round pick next year and the year after. And if Matt Ryan falls off a cliff this year, great. You keep him as the veteran mentor because you have to because you yep. can't get out from under the money and you have your new guy next year. Or if he plays amazing and you're fine with your backup, you wait two years and you're looking at the quarterback class that Brett's talking about. Yep. And you just got yourself out of a hole that right now you kind of painted yourself into with 40, I think it's $42 million dead next year. That's so a lot of money. You're, you're kind of stuck riding with that. But if you could say, Hey, I'll just defer this. Plus you're going to get a decent pick. You go down, you know, they go down seven, eight picks. They're going to pick up picks for the next two years out of that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, I, especially look, if Fields is there at four, it's it's you know it's a it's, it's on it's, it's on yeah. I Speaking mean, of the dodgeball fight, yeah. yeah. I mean, New England's going to want to come up. Denver's going to want to come up. There's always that random team out of nowhere that we're not even thinking about. I mean, the Mahomes year, maybe we thought Kansas City would draft a quarterback, but we didn't think they were going to make that move. I mean, there's always that random team out of nowhere that's like, oh, apparently Tennessee wants to get aggressive to get a quarterback. Why? Oh, okay. Man. If if Fields is there. Ryan Pace is going to show up with four first-round picks. He better. He, he, better. he will. He'll, he'll just be like, guys, guys, is this how you do this? Right. Here's all four. Is that good enough? Yeah. Can I throw in Mitch Trubisky still? I know he's a Buffalo, but please. <laughs> <laughs> I still package him as part of this deal? Oh, well, you're man. a New England guy. You're, you're, you know, you're plugged into the Patriots scene up there. Do you think Bill would do it? You think Bill would give up three first round picks for Justin? It's Fields? funny. It's funny, Brett, because you know I know Lombardi was out. You know we're doing this Thursday night. And Lombardi was out today saying it's not the Patriots' way to trade up. It's not the Patriots' way to go and be aggressive and give up future assets to get a player that's not graded that highly on their board. It's also not the Patriots' way to spend you know the gross domestic product of Liechtenstein in one <laughs> free agency cycle. But that's what they just did. You know <laughs> they filled in a lot of needs. They had needs to tight end. They I, I hope I hope to God they fixed that with those two guys. You know, they had needs sort of a backup safety corner. Jalen Mills can kind of be that. You know, they obviously had needs at wide receiver. Whether what did you whether you think Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Moore fix that or not, they threw assets in that direction. I still think they address wide receiver at some point in this draft. What's left is QB. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the big question mark. And I know they have Cam back. And look, 
say what you want about Cam last year, but he had COVID. He signed late. Like it was strange setup circumstances, and maybe they can get him back to where he was, say, in 2017, 2018. Maybe you're not getting 2015 Cam back. I think that guy's gone. Yeah. So maybe they can get that, but maybe not. And either way, let's say Cam has this fantastic season and he's back to his 2017 form. He's on a one-year deal. Like you're either going to have to pay him a ton of money or have somebody waiting. And since you filled in so many other needs, why not be aggressive? Go against what you've done. Go against what everybody thinks you're going to do and go to the top of the board and get a quarterback. What does everybody always say about Belichick? He zigs when everybody else zags, right? Everybody's expected to zig, to trade down, to be, you know, his standard self and draft a safety in the second round after they traded down. And, (laughs) you know, I'll just be crying into my beers and everything else. This is the year where I think he finally, you know, zags and goes and gets aggressive, particularly if Fields is there at four. I, I think he would. I wouldn't doubt it. I think last year hurt him. I really do. Watching Tom Brady throw in the Lombardi over the bay, drunkenly <laughs> to you know his, yep. his tight end right. Cameron Bray, like that hurt. I, I guarantee you. Look, you don't get to be the guy with eight nine rings on your boat, you know, and living the high life if you're not a super competitive person, you know. And, and that's Bill Belichick, and that's Tom Brady. These are two supremely competitive people. And I am sure that watching Brady win while finishing seven and nine and struggling the way they did has him like never again. I am not, I am not going to lose again. I'm not going to have a losing record again. I'm going to be aggressive. They spent so much money. You filled in so many holes, go fill in the last big question mark, which is quarterback. So you're thinking when Tom Brady and the Buccaneers come up to Foxborough for, for the rematch or, or the grudge match of all grudge matches, you're going to roll out young Justin Fields as a rookie and say, look, Tom, he's going to break all your records. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and I, I've I've said on my show, I've said elsewhere, look, if they somehow get, you know, Justin Fields or even Trey Lance, it's it's a buy the jersey moment because I think they're both, you know, incredibly talented quarterbacks. Um, but I do think that, yeah, there there's a – there's a motivation factor because as much as Belichick says, I don't read, you know, my snap face or whatever he calls things, he's he sees it all, he hears it all. Like he knows that everybody out there is saying, Oh, well, clearly it was Tom Brady. It wasn't Bill <laughs> Belichick. It was Tom Brady. Yeah. Try telling that to Bill Belichick that you you weren't the architect, you weren't the reason for six Super Bowl titles. Yeah, he's gonna want to get Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but yeah. How do you how do you have these quarterbacks stacked? By the way, since you mentioned Lance as well, yeah, I mean, for, yeah, I mean, the top five for me is Lance is is Lance Lawrence Fields, uh, Wilson Lance, then Jones, and you know, really, that top four, you know, I, if you want to tell me that Zach Wilson is your QB one, okay, like I I can see why, you know, if you want to tell me Lance is QB one or Fields or or Lawrence, any one of those guys, like I could see it. Like they're they're all incredibly talented, and they're all I think generally scheme diverse, um, system transcendent type of players. That you know, if you take Justin Fields, I think his best fit is a spread vertical system. But if you want to drop him into Kyle Shanahan's offense, he can run it just fine. Like I'm not worried about it. Um, Trey Lance, I think he could run Kyle Shanahan's offense now. It's a similar playbook, but he could run New England's. He could run. You know, Chicago's, you know, that sort of more pure West Coast kind of offense. Um, all these guys, I think, are pretty scheme diverse. I think Jones is a solid quarterback who's more scheme dependent, who's more external factors dependent. Like, I, I think guys like Lance, like Wilson, like Fields, and like Lawrence, like they could transcend the playmakers around them. They can make the players around them better at the next level. Uh, with Jones, I think it's more a guy you win with type of player, but he's the safe floor in this draft. And I think the reason why the Niners are linked with them beyond the whole Kirk Cousins 2.0 thing is if you think you're close as a team and you just want the guy that can run the offense and sort of get you over the hump, that might be Jones. You know, you know, if you think that with Ayuk and with, you know, Trent Williams back with juice check with Kittle, like you've got enough weapons on offense and you're good enough on defense. You just need a guy that's not going to make you look foolish. That can run your offense. that can make the reads and make the throws. I mean, I, that's Mac Jones. So I understand yeah. the connection there. Um, I think it's a lot to give up, but 
if you think that's the missing piece, then okay. Yeah, like all quarterback trades, if it works, nobody will care about if the compensation. Works, nobody's going to care about the compensation, right? <laughs> and if it, mean, doesn't, if it doesn't, everybody will care everybody about will the compensation. Remember it. I mean, it's if yep. Mitchell Trubisky brought a, a Lombardi to the Windy that's, City. That's what I said the night he was drafted. I said, if he wins, it's all's forgiven. And it wasn't yeah. that much of a trade-up anyways. But if he doesn't, guess what? Nobody's ever going to let him forget it. And it wasn't even about Watson or Mahomes at that point. It was literally about the picks. Yeah. And I was like, look, if if he leads the Bears to the playoffs every year and threatens for a Super Bowl, Chicago's going to love him and carry him around on their shoulders. Nobody's going to yep. care. But the bottom line is – you bomb out, go down in a ball of flames. Everybody's going to be like, you know how many and, picks? And part of it is we mythologize, and I put myself obviously in this category, but we mythologize the draft so much, right? For Where sure. it's like mm-hmm. the allure of the future pick is like, wow, who knows what that could have been? You know, that could have been Spencer Rattler. You know, that could have been <laughs> Sam Howell. It could have been a boat. Yeah, it's it's the whole <laughs> analogy. I, I, man, I have used that so many times this entire draft cycle, mm-hmm. particularly with this, this Mac Jones thing. But you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was great, but Mac Jones, Mac Jones could be Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, that's yeah. literally <laughs> what they're doing. Um, yeah. But no, we we mythologize future draft picks where if like a team trades away a twenty twenty three fourth rounder, people are like, "Well, I was just watching this tackle from." Where was it? UCF the other day, who's coming out in two years. That could be that guy. Like, yeah. we start to think, like, all of these players hit because we invest so much time. And by God, if I'm going to spend 15 hours watching that this tight end class, you know, and, and studying Matt Bushman, you know, obviously I have to study Matt Bushman because if I don't, Thor Nystrom is going to kill me. Okay. Thor okay? <laughs> has my cell phone number. He knows where I live. I don't, I don't need Ooh. Thor coming after me because he loves Matt Bushman. But, I mean, if you're going to put that kind of time with investment, you think that all of these guys can hit. You find pathways for all these guys to hit. The hit rate, even on first-round picks, isn't great. So, no. if you can get, get, trade up and it works, awesome. Yeah, and we were just talking about the Bengals. If you can trade back and pick up extra shots, that's the deal. That's because- the other thing, too. Like, the, the smart teams are the ones that give themselves more bites at the apple, right? And that's typically yeah. been New England's M.O., you know, throughout For the sure. Brady Belichick run, which is we'll trade back, we'll pick up a couple of extra fourth round picks here. We'll just throw darts. Sometimes these pan out, sometimes these don't. But the more you know, cracks at it you get, the better. Because if every team hits on forty percent of the picks, well, if you made ten picks, that's four players. Yeah. Well, you what know? do you think Bill would rather have right now, Nikhil Harry or two second round picks? Oh my God, I think. It... <laughs> They have a problem, man, evaluating the outside receiver position. They're the anti-stealers. Right? Yeah, they can't get it right. They can, they can get slots right, right? Like <laughs> you look at Julian Edelman, you look at the trade for Welker, even Jacoby Myers in a sense. I think yeah. he's got suited in the slot. Like they can get the like change of direction type skills, the three cone stuff. They've got that figured out. They can't figure out the outside receiver position to save their lives. I mean, Chad Johnson, Chad Ojosinko, Chad Jackson, like you know, obviously to kill Harry, you know, it, it's been a mess for them. And that's why you talk to Patriots fans about maybe Rashad Bateman, Nico Collins, DME Brown, and they're, they're, they're all deer in the headlights in that moment. They're like, they're terrified. Do it. They, well, they know the offense needs an X. The offense sure. needs an X right now. They're just terrified of who's going to make that decision. You know, apparently the, you know, in the past couple of days we've learned, that it was Belichick who made the call on Harry over the scouts. The scouts wanted to go in a different direction. Um, you know, maybe Belichick says, all right, fine. I can't evaluate wide receivers. I'm just the greatest, you know, coach of all time. I just can't evaluate outside receivers. So I'll let you guys do it. I don't know, but they got to figure out outside receiver, man, because it, it's a train wreck. And I thought last year with, with Harry contested catch guy, back shoulder guy, Cam Newton, this was perfect. Never happened. Never materialized, and now you're hoping you can get maybe a fourth in return for him. I just I never understood why people saw him as a legitimate like contested catch Alshon Jeffrey clone in the first place. Because I remember when he was at ASU, he's getting bullied by a 19 year old sophomore corner from Oregon that's probably selling insurance right now, yeah. and it's like uh, where I'm looking at DK Metcalf, you know, turning Lonnie Johnson into a puddle of goo. 
Yeah. And I'm like, how 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 does that decision even get made? It's crazy. I, I do think, you know, and this is something I've started to come around on the idea of like a contested catch receiver in college. Like, what is that really? It's a guy that can't separate. Separate. Like, <laughs> it's a guy that can't get open. And I was waiting like, for that. I was you know, waiting for that moment. And, and and if your game is 50-50 balls against the kids that are going to be selling insurance in two years, what's going to happen when that guy is Jalen Ramsey? That's suddenly a, a, a what, a 20-80 ball? Like, that's not yeah. a way to, like, make a living in the NFL as a wide receiver. And so, you know, when, when you start getting to, you know, you're watching receivers and you're like, oh, man, this guy's a great contested catch receiver playing in the Big Ten, then maybe it's kind of time to move on and watch the next guy on your list because – it's probably not going to work for him in the NFL. So contested catch receiver in the Big Ten. What do you think of Nico Collins after the weight drop? <sighs> I see. I know that there are people that really like Nico Collins. I know there are people that are high on him. There's there's an aspect to his game that I just can't get beyond, and it's this. And it maybe maybe this is my old failed quarterback coming through. But I, I look at two guys, Diami Brown, Nico Collins. I watch Diami Brown. He'll run a curl route. Ball doesn't come his way. He will go back to the line of scrimmage in the course of that play if he has to, to try to get himself <laughs> open. He does not stop working on a snap. Nico Collins runs the same route, stops, turns, ball doesn't come to him. That's it. All right. I'm going to stay here. Um, go. Good luck. Good luck. And I literally at one point wrote down, will you freaking run? Like in my notes, <laughs> I literally wrote that down. And so that's my hand up with Nico Collins. Like I think that with the weight drop and some of the movement skills and some of what he offers in the vertical passing game, I understand why people like them, like Nico Collins. But for me, like those are the two that I look at. And I'm like, give me DME Brown. Like I much prefer DME Brown. I know he's had some issues with drops. You know, you see that vertical route against NC State where he – you know, beats the press, stacks the receiver. It's like, man, this is it. This is my thesis. This is my closing. Oh my god, he dropped the ball. <laughs> like, oh man. And that was my that was yeah. my problem because like Deami Brown and, and Nico Collins, I think, are gonna go in fairly similar parts of the draft. Yeah. But they they're completely opposite receivers. But the thing is, the key word is receiver. <laughs> Yeah, and catching the balls is an important part. Yeah, it's almost like job. Will Fuller. It's yeah, I mean, like it's it's kind of the job description there, right? Get yeah. open, catch the ball. You could get open, but you can't catch it. I mean, I there's a part of me that likes to think that drops are noisy, and since he's getting open and he's separating, and he's beating the press, like he'll figure that out. But I mean, the last thing you want to do is draft a receiver and he just can't catch. I mean, so let, let's put it this way: whichever one the Patriots do draft you know what the handup's going to be. They'll draft Amy Brown. He'll never be able to catch again. You'll draft Nico Collins and he'll never be able to separate again because he'll just stop running his routes. So between Aguilar and Deami Brown, what's the over for drops per game for the New England oh, offense? God. <laughs> Probably eight. Eight? Maybe hammer the over? <laughs> Bootleg football, your source for prop bets uh, of sadness. Oh. The pathetic natures of the game, yes. Who would you say uh, are can be any position, any round? Who are your pound-the-table guys for this class? Where it's like, if you're a GM, you do not want to leave the draft without these three guys. Who would they be? At the receiver position, a guy that I absolutely love is Amon Ross St. Brown. And I modern-day alumni, just saying, modern-day alumni. I, I see, like, I've seen some different comps for him. I see Julian Edelman 2.0. I see a guy that will always get open. I see a guy that is supremely confident in his hands. I see a guy that will literally fight you to the death and want to like rip your heart out, like supremely competitive. And, you know, I, I think that matters so much in this sport. Um, so at the receiver position, it's him. You know, he's one of the guys that I was like, look, I, I he's not like a top 10 receiver, but I have to write about him. I have to include him in the write-ups. We were doing top 11 at each position. I extended it to 14 so I could get him in. And Amari Rogers, who like late day three, like a, a similar type of guy. I mean, probably not even late day three, probably early day three. But, you know, he's a guy that I really like. Um, some others. Um, Cameron Sample, the two-lane edge. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love him. Um, 
Yeah, the the hands. I loved what he did at the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, he's probably more of a later round guy, and maybe you're sort of putting too much into what he did at the Senior Bowl. But I I, I really like some of what he did. Peyton Turner too, the Houston edge who I was mm-hmm. watching recently. I really sort of like him. Um, defensively, it's weird. This linebacker class is so weird, and it's hard to say that a guy like Xavier Collins is a pound the table guy because he's going in the first round. Um, but I do think that there's a definite role for him in today's NFL, even if he's more of the between the tackles type of linebacker, um, because I do think his athleticism is, his, you know, his length, man. I saw a play where he's just in curl flat quarterback tries to get it over him and he can't. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually he did because he, he tipped the ball. And so all the guys still caught it. Um, and then you watch him against Navy, like trying to fight off these cut blocks from, these offensive linemen are running, you know, all the flexible and stuff that they do. And he's showing the athleticism. He's hurdling these guys left and right. So Collins certainly intrigues me. Um, the one weird thing, though, is I don't really have a pound the table guy outside of the top five of quarterback. Like, if I was, if you were going to tell me that, look, you know, you have to say, you know, plant your flag one of these later round quarterbacks, who would you plant the flag on? And even that's really hard. There are two that I think interest me the most. What is Davis Mills? And we were talking about him before the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you have not watched Davis Mills, all you need to do is watch the UCLA game. Cause you will see early in the game, he's ripping some seam routes. He's making some NFL throws. And you're like, man, this, this guy, this could work. And then late in the game, he's thrown these interceptions where if they simply spin the coverage, he's like, he doesn't know baffled. what to do. He's back. Yeah. He's like one of my cats back there. Like what? When safeties move, he just what shits am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with my hands now. Um, <laughs> like the pick six he threw against UCLA was just. I don't. I, and I know Tim Jenkins, who does some really good work breaking down quarterbacks. You know, he broke that down and talked about how he just missed the rotation. But it was just like, man, like that. That wasn't that complex a rotation. It wasn't exactly a Brent Venables look you're getting from there. Um, but what I do like about that game, though, was you would have thought at that point it would have just folded the chips and said, look, I'm done. I'm out. Because we've now turned a 23 lead into 34-20 UCLA. We're getting rolled here. But he fought back. He, he showed, you know, he's not going to quit. Um, and if you're going to be like a later round quarterback, like you've got to have that mentality. And I, I so, you know, he does intrigue me. There's an injury history. There's the inability to read rotated safeties issue, which is kind of going to be a big thing in the NFL. But, you know, so he does intrigue me. Jamin Newman intrigues me because of the athleticism and the fact that mm-hmm. I've talked to some people and you guys have probably seen this watching him at wake. I don't, I never imagined an offense could be at, at the same time quarterback friendly and quarterback unfriendly, but that's <laughs> that wake forest offense because, you know, you see him, and it's, look, they've got they're they're building in pump fakes, they're building in RPOs and one redesigns and scheming guys open. You're like, man, this is great. But then you see him like take this the pistol snap and the shotgun snap and like walk with the running back scrimmage. Then he's like walking towards traffic. I, yeah, and guys are like, yeah. I was saying the other day, it's like I've never seen an offense try to manufacture pressure on their quarterback, but that's what they did. And you have now. And it's not like they're they're asking them to then just like pull and throw over the top. It's like, no, you have to then pull and throw that glance route from that base in such a tight window. But he was able to do it. And so a box that he automatically checks is, yeah, he can make off-platform throws because he has to. Like that's yeah. the offense. You got to basically just do a jump pass over the line. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, shades of Tebow back when he was yeah. in Florida, when Urban Meyer was like, I don't need him to do anything. I don't care if he can make an anticipation throw. He could just throw jump passes and we'll win the SEC. So, but yeah, I mean, those are, those are two quarterbacks that's kind of intrigued me. But as I was saying earlier, there's no Brett Rippon in this class, friends. <laughs> so what's your, what's your uh, opinion on Kellen Mond? Cause EJ is a big Kellen Mond guy. I look, he's my QB six. Like I see it. Um, and I don't like yeah. the Kellen Mond experience is you just, Turn on the first quarter of the Florida game, like first drive. Okay. First play, 
cover four, static coverage, there's motion, there's shifting, and the coverage isn't moving. They're just like, look, man, we're running cover four. Like, we're not hiding it. And he throws a speed out to the right, and he stares it down, and it should have been a pick six. And it's like, man, you know what it is. Just get the ball out on time and rhythm. And then two plays later, they blitz him, and he's got a guy in his face. He's got a guy off the edge, and he somehow makes a timing and rhythm and anticipation throw on the out to move the chains on third down. It's like, man, if you could just be more like the second guy and not the first guy, then, yeah, we're cooking with gas. Um, but I do think that he has potential. I do think that he has talent. And I do think that, yeah, you know, you'd expect a guy that's played as many games as he had in the SEC would be able to read cover four better. But when you're talking about that dart throw in the third or fourth rounds, like I'll bet on that athleticism. I'll bet on that arm talent and him being able to figure it out and some of the flashes that he's shown of the anticipation and rhythm and things like that. So I get it. Yeah, as a qualifying statement, I'm a big Kellen Mond guy for exactly that. For you're out of the top five, you're taking a dart throw, you're hoping for somebody that can hold the clipboard, develop, be a one or two game winner if your starter goes down. That's the guy I think Kellen Mond can be in pretty short order. Again, right landing spot right coaching, right system. And you said it about Florida. We talked about the Alabama game going back and forth. Brett and I were going back and forth because I was like, I, you know, again, looking at the second tier, I kind of like Kellen Mond for this, this, and this. And yes, I get the consistency argument. And yes, I get the improvement argument. He has improved. The consistency is still not where you want it to be, but it's better than it was. A lot of people made up their mind about Kellen Mond in year one or two because he's been playing there for four years. And they were like, ah, big athletic guy doesn't do this well, doesn't do this well. I know what he is, and they stop looking. But you look at the middle, right about from middle second quarter to about just after the third quarter ends in the Alabama game, and he is destroying them. He is tearing them limb from limb. And to Brett's point, what happens at the end of those drives, right? Yeah, doesn't end the way you want it to, but you watch him going down the field against one of the best teams in the country, and he is massacring them. And it's like, bottle that. (laughs) <laughs> and I always look, I put a lot of stock in an ability of a quarterback to go up against a Nick Saban defense, a Brett Venables defense, you know, an Aranda defense and have success against it. Even if it's not ultimately a win or a huge production where they throw like six touchdown passes or whatever. If you can read those rotations, if you can understand what they're doing, because we've all tried, Brett, you were talking earlier about trying to figure out what, you know, in addition to what Mac Jones means, um, but you're trying to watch Alabama and understand their coverages and stuff. If you're a quarterback and you have success against those kinds of complex defenses, you get to the NFL. Some of what you're seeing is like still tough, but it's not this huge leap. You know, it's yeah. not like coming from playing against Central Arkansas and now having to diagnose defenses like that. So the fact that Mond was able to have some success against Alabama, it reminds me of a guy who had some success against Alabama. And it, you know, it didn't win, didn't win that game, but we all remember it. And that's Dak Prescott, you know, that junior year, that Mississippi State Alabama game. Um, Prescott had his own fall, but had some success against, you know, that defense, those concepts. And I think he's done pretty well for himself. I think um, Mond against Saban specifically, you can tell that Mond was giving them trouble because that pick six that he threw. I, I saw that look and it was it was a draw bait look and I was like, I don't recognize this. Like I went through my saving playbook, like I went through everything I had, like resource wise. I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, so I talked to Coach Kogan, who literally, yeah. I mean, he's expert on the defense. He runs it like he knows yeah. everything about it. And I was like, what the hell is this? And he's like, that's new. Like this is their Raptor personnel. It's kind of a two invert, but it's a drop eight two invert. They've never run that before. That's new, which told me. Nick Saban had to bust out something he's never done before to get Kellen Mond. Yeah. Which I think counts for something. That counts Again, for it's something, bad. It's, it's a pick six. But the fact when you've got Saban flipping to the back of the playbook, that yeah. means something. That means yeah, for something. sure. Yeah. And you see that. And I don't see that from a lot of the other mid-level guys. I have people coming to me. What about Ian Book? And I'm like, hmm. You know, what about <laughs> what about Ian Book? <laughs> we, uh, we didn't have um, Sam Ellinger and we had talked about putting him in. And look, Sam is a tough guy. He's yeah. a competitor. He's a leader. You can tell that his guys rally for him. But if you expect him again to come in against complex coverage rotations in the NFL and throw the ball 35 times and you're going to win the game. 
that's a bigger projection than I'm willing to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more willing to say that he's going to be one hell of an athletic director at the University of Texas in a couple of years. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I buy that more than Ellinger, you know, going on and developing. And, you know, like Felipe Franks or some of the other quarterbacks. Like, You know what I wrote in my notes about Felipe Franks? He's a quarterback? <laughs> I've seen a lot of quarterbacks. He's not what I wrote. I wrote <laughs> he's a right. baseball player playing quarterback. That's that's probably a better act. Better well, you watch his game, yeah. it looks like he's still playing baseball. Yep. And you know, all the athleticism in the world, nothing against Felipe Franks, tremendous athlete, right? His oh, yeah. RS scores like nine six or something, it's ridiculous. But you look at him doing all the things, and and that's the important thing. We talked about it with the receiver, right? The thing is right. catch the ball. The thing with a quarterback is quarterbacking, is making the decision, being on time, putting your guys in position. I don't care how big your arm is. If the ball gets there on time, you did the right thing. So to be a quarterback, you got to do the thing. And Felipe Franks right now is not doing the thing. You don't make him a tight end. I was, for I was big Thomas. on Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas <laughs> no, that was that's one of my biggest ever pre-draft the wins. Ty, Tyree Jackson's getting moved yeah. to uh, tight end now with the Eagles. So, yeah. By the way, Logan Thomas, uh, one of the most breathtaking arm cannons I've ever seen in my entire life. Absolute howitzer, like absolute howitzer, man. I mean, he was Josh Allen before Josh Allen, except Josh yeah. Allen could still play quarterback. But yeah. you you watched him whiz the ball in college, and that was a that was a life altering experience for me. It was yeah. like the first time I saw him like be late on a skinny post, but still fit it in there. Like it was nothing. I'm like, good. That's different. I mean, yeah. I knew he wasn't very good, but I was like, that's a, that's an arm. Um, who would you say you are again, could be any position, any round. Who would you say that you're lower on than the consensus quote unquote draft media? Yeah, I mean, I think Kyle Trask is one. I think he's like my QB8. Like, I just – and I don't know if that's lower the consensus because it does sort of seem like Trask is kind of really falling right now. Um, and he's somebody that I just – the way I've described it is he seems impervious to pressure. And I think that's just a nice way of saying he can't escape from pressure, um, which is kind of what I see with him. Um, I met, I talked about Nico Collins. I seem to be lower on him than the consensus seems to be, um, other receivers that I might be lower on. I mean, I don't, a player like Rondale Moore, who I think is like my receiver nine hmm. or something like that. Um, there's no denying what he did say against Ohio state. Like you, you turn him out of Ohio state game. He's just fantastic. Um, but I do wonder about the injury history. I do wonder about sort of his role at the next level. Um, so he's maybe a player that I'm a bit like in that, say you've got the big four receivers, you put Kyle Pitts as his own hybrid type player. Um, and then you get those guys like, you know, Tony, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. I'm kind of higher on the other two than I am Rondale Moore, but they're all pretty good. Um, trying to think of some other positions. I know we talked a little bit about the edge class. Uh, Gregory Rousseau. Oh, Carlos Basham is a guy that I, I, I've, I've heard some like first round buzz on him. That mm. I just don't see. Like mm. I, I look at him and I see like, He's like an okay, like rotational brusher. Um, maybe somebody could kick inside at times, but it seems like to me that he's just a player that he just wants to win to the inside. He just all, his his move is basically I'm going to try to euro step you and cut to the inside. Somebody with his strength, I I would think would have a more refined pass rushing plan, some more bull rushes to his game. I just I haven't seen it. Um, maybe I missed it, but I haven't seen it. So he, he's somebody that I think I'm a bit lower on the consensus. Um, I think that, you know, try to think, but those would be the names that first come to mind there. Are there any offensive linemen that you feel like are overrated, underrated either way? Um, you know, what's interesting is Alex Leatherwood, who I think could be a very good offensive tackle. He's polarizing. But he's extremely polarizing. I think he had a brutal senior bowl week. I mean, you you Mm -hmm. watched him. And I I remember talking to some people after watching him. I'm like, look, I'm not great when it comes to offensive line, but it seems to me like this is a dude that just couldn't block anybody all week. And people were just like, yeah, I mean, you just just couldn't. Um, I I think he's better than what he showed that week. I don't know if he was just banged up, tired, whatever. 
Um, so I, I'm kind of not giving up on him. I wouldn't touch him like in the first two rounds, maybe late on the second round, but I, st- I still think in this tackle class, like, because what we're seeing so often right now is, oh, this guy's a great tackle. Let's move him to guard. That's where he's going to be. <laughs> I think Leatherwood's a tackle. Um, and so I kind of would stick him there. Oh, Spencer Brown, the, the tackle from mm-hmm. what, Northern Iowa? Yeah, monster athlete. That kid can play. Like he's somebody that I, you know, I, I should have mentioned in my band the table, but I do like that kid a lot. Deontay Brown's another one I like, that mammoth um, offensive guard yep. from, from Alabama, who I thought moved better than I expected. Well, for 365. The fact that he could move, yeah. period, is better. Yeah. Than <laughs> um, but no, I, I, you know, you've seen him climb to the second level on some combo blocks, some zone stuff. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, you're not going to get him with a power move because you can't run through him. Like, you could put a speed move on him, but you're going to take a long pathway to get around him. That could work at the next level. I really yeah. want to see him and, and Vita Vea in an Oklahoma drill just to see if the universe collapses in on itself. Seriously. I mean, that's that's like one of those like Mayan prophecies where the world ends. That's how it does. Those two going head to head. Pure impact. The crazy thing Seriously. is you look at Deontay Brown and he's 364 and you look at Ben Cleveland and he's like 354. That guy's the mountain, man. That guy is the mountain. He is the personification Seriously. of the mountain. And I don't know if you saw – the uh of course all the pro day um media stuff is all zoom now so he's at the podium and he's in an under armor shout out to <laughs> shout out to brady's company right he's in an under armor workout shirt and it is tight fitting and that guy is cut yeah. like he's 354 and he's cut he's standing yeah. at the podium like this so you can see his wings and you're just like dude how are you three 54 with that body comp and he goes out and just bulldozes guys yeah he's it's it's a reminder i mean you guys have been down at the senior bowl you're walking around the hotel these are just different human beings yeah we we talk about that a lot of like i remember i was walking in it was a couple years ago i was walking into the restroom behind brian o'neill who's the tackle of pittsburgh's now Mm -hmm. and like look i'm five nine on a good day but I'm just like staring at this kid's like waste. And it's just like, this, this is a superhuman. Like these are just, these are, these are just different people. Okay. They're, they're barely people. They're aliens. They're, they're yeah. just, it, it's just mind boggling yeah. when you get up close to this. Well, guys. there was that uh, video that came out of um, Tristan Wirfs today and he's hang cleaning 405. Like, like nothing. Repeated, repeatedly. Well, remember last year? I do. Videos of him hand cleaning like a true freshman, like 380 or something like that. And it's just like, no. And his his thing is, you know, he puts on the Instagram like, oh, 405 was moving today. (laughs) Like, what? He's flipping it around and he's just dropping it. And I'm like, if I did that, literally it would be the Saturday Night Live skit. Both shoulders would separate and I'd bleed to death. Keep in mind, isn't the record like 427? Something like I, that. Probably. Like, I've like, I've got a friend who's a, a Olympic level weight lifting instructor, and she actually has former NFL players in her inner gym, and so she's aware. She's an exercise science major at UW when she was there, and you know, so she you know she teaches people to lift heavy weights all the time and works with former pro athletes. And I send her these right when there's stuff like that. When Rayshon Slater was had that huge stack oh, weight. And it's a front squat. <laughs> like, spoiler, front squat. And she was like, she, you know, she texts back, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah. And this is somebody that sees very strong people in person all the time. And you send her this stuff, and you're right. It's it's a different level. It's They're the aliens. Best thing about this the Slater front squat. First, he was doing it in the wire rimmed glasses, which is just that's just another <laughs> level. Elite. But, yeah, but when he it looked like he was gonna rip. His strength and conditioning coaches head off. Yeah. He's like, he just shoves him and then he gives him the second look, like, touch me again, and I swear to God, I will kill you. Like, <laughs> I will separate your head from your body yeah, at this point. Don't I will do that dismember again. you if you ever touch me again. So you can understand why he could go into a Big Ten championship game and handle Chase Young. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's different, like a, different class. Anybody that's ever been on the sidelines for an NFL game, like actually on the sidelines. Uh, I've heard a lot of words to describe that. Having been there, the one I use is terrifying. 
Oh, it's it's downright terrifying. If it you see if you see full impact anywhere within ten or fifteen yards of you on the sideline, and it's two guys that really mean it, and they're going at it, and they hit each other as hard as they can at that size at that speed, like you recoil. You yep. the sound the the ferocity. You're just like oh, and, and you think yeah, you think you have in your head. You think like oh, I'll just be able to get out of the way if they're oh. coming to this. Side. No, you can't. Like well, I was in balls. senior bowl. Uh, it was not this last senior bowl, but the one before I was on the sideline for the game because I went down with a press pass to take pictures before the game and they just like never bade me leave. So I was like just <laughs> on the sideline for the game the whole time. Uh, and I, so I was sitting in a corner, like snapping video and stuff like that. And Jalen hurts threw a touchdown to Juwan Jennings and Juwan Jennings knee was about two feet from my face. Cause I was on the ground and all of a sudden that there's like four dudes that weigh 225 running straight at me. I was like, wow, I'm going to die. This is how I die. I'm just going to yeah. collapse in a pot of bodies. And somehow like they all missed me, but uh, you, you don't realize how fast they're moving until you are in a position where you can't get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just it. The, the speed of these athletes. Now, when you've got guys like Slater that are that big and are, five what four nine in the 40 well, or whatever Owe. look yeah. at jason Owe. He yeah. ran, you really go four four and he's what 260 four three nine i was yeah he was well. like 100th percentile in the 40 100th percentile in like the broad jump it's just like yeah. when you're typing in 100th percentile next to some of these pro day numbers no. i don't care if it's a pro day number that's darn impressive but then you see how big he is yeah yeah now that just the mass and acceleration i mean you're looking at at guys that you know weigh as much as probably the biggest guy you saw in high school 250 yep. 260 and they're as fast as the fastest sprinter was in high school who weighed like 175 yep. it's, and that's why like whatever yeah. people say like i'll start talking about contracts and stuff stand on the sidelines of an nfl game and then tell me what these guys are worth like, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable because like, you can't do their time. job no, you can't no, do what no, they no. do but they can do what you do yeah. for like, sure literally any one of these guys played in the nfl could be just as bad a lawyer as i was in a, in a <laughs> blink of an eye. but i can't step on a field and do what they did so i get it that's my favorite <laughs> one is all the fans like i could play in the nfl and then you you show them one of these collisions right um i was just watching um oh bobby brown the third uh, Texas A&M defensive tackle and God, it's getting some buzz. He's a big dude. He's six, four, three Oh five. Like he's a big dude and he moves really fast. And there was a play against South Carolina where he takes his guard and they're running uh pulling, you know, H back, whatever you want to call it. They're running a tight end across the formation from the tight side, his side. He grabs his guy and throws him into the puller. The puller's got like two steps. He takes his guy and just mashes him into the puller. And the two of those guys hit each other and they're looking at each other like, what? I, I didn't do it. Right. And the running backs supposedly coming through that hole. And he just shows up to this train wreck that happened like that fast and goes, oh my God. And basically just wilts. And Brown doesn't touch anybody. And he's just like, win. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, are- uh, that's. Jesus, he just took a 300-pound guy that was bent on people. Like, that's just not – but when you've got guys that are hand-cleaning 505 or whatever, like, they'll be able to do that. I I moved Joseph Osai up a full round just for surviving Tevin Jenkins. Oh, man. That was was, (laughs) – like, there have been fun battles to watch. Like, my favorite – was getting a chance to go back when I was re-watching Jamar Chase to watch that 2019 Alabama LSU game. I mean, oh, how, I how watched many times, last week. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you got I, – I write about it all the time. I'm like, this game is like scouting lore. Like, everybody I talk to like, watched it like 25 times. I don't know about you if you do this, but last year, and I said this to Brett, I start mouthing what the announcers are going to say. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you've heard it like 13 heard it times so in times. a row, right? Yeah. And you're like, and he makes the first oh, – wow, yeah. oh, what am I doing? Like, but, I can't uh, tell you how many times I've heard Lane Kiffin just threw his clipboard in oh the air. God, yes. <laughs> but Jamar Chase versus Trayvon Diggs, like that—that oh, that was like that's a beating. Drago, you know, <laughs> Christmas Day in Moscow, because those two, like, there was literally one snap 
And I had actually listened to Vass and Colgan do, doing some saving stuff. And they were talking about club technique where, you know, you jam the receiver with the outside shoulder and two men try to force him to the inside. Um, and there was a snap where right at the snap, Diggs literally just lunges and two hands shoves Chase. Just like just shoves him. I'm like, Vass, is this club technique? And it Vass writes back, I think he just hates him. Like I think that's <laughs> all that it is. But at this point, he does. Was, then about it was Chase got open. Like he yeah, because he grabbed him, yeah, threw him, and him it just kept him. going. It's incredible. But but that like like you 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 start watching these games and you watch more, they become lore. But like, yeah, Jenkins versus Osai, like the fact that Osai survived that because Jenkins was Jenkins is a dude that wants to kill you too. Like he's yeah. just a guy that's just like, my job is to obliterate you. And he does it while he's in his team photo. Again, maybe it's maybe we should all add wire-rimmed glasses to our As the ultimate, the ultimate hit <laughs> list. Survived. Because Jenkins in his team photo has got the wire-rimmed glasses on, but he wants to rip your limbs off. And he's totally open about that, which is one of my yeah. favorite things about him. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I yeah. definitely no. want to kill you. I do. And you I see do. it in his tape. Like the the one thing when we were talking to Brandon Thorne about Tevin Jenkins that he said is that's not a rare occurrence, right? It happens all the time. It happens consistently. He puts guys out of the frame. He puts guys on the ground. Like that is his gig. And, you know, again, every offensive line coach in the NFL is going to be like, I want that. Give me yeah. one of those. I need I mean, to have one. It's it's the Duke Manny Weather finish. It is non-negotiable, right? Yeah. Like you remember when there was that day with PFF, the guys were talking about how finish it is overrated, and then Duke pulled <laughs> the Escalade over and recorded the video. One yeah. of my favorite Duke moments ever. But that's that's why. It, that's why because for sure you, know, you. This is an emotional game. It's it, it's in a game about emotion, and if you're going up against a guy that wants to do that to you. It will do that to you over and over and over again. Well, what's going to happen on 31 early in the fourth quarter? You're not going to want to be there. No, the, no you don't want to do it again. Yeah. You don't want that smoke. No, I think, I think my favorite play from that game, it was not when he put Osai into the bench. It was like a couple plays after that. And they're running like a screen or, or something like that. And Tevin, immediately whips his eyes around in space to find Osai in pursuit. And there's like four guys there. Everybody's like, nah, that's my bitch. I want 46. <laughs> I want 46 and I'm going to find him. Yeah. And he gives a shoulder me. to the face. And I swear to God, Osai turns into one of those like ragdoll physics dead bodies from Grand Theft Auto, where it's just... <laughs> and I just saw this lifeless corpse fall to the ground. And I'm like, yeah, he hates his life at that yeah. point. He just... Yeah. He he didn't want to be there anymore, and like he still got three sacks that game, but like, yeah, but it wasn't the a good thing. three sacks of his life, <laughs> and they weren't on Jenkins. No, no, it was, it was like, did he get one against Jenkins? Well, technically, they brought zero, and so Jenkins right. was peaking. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like he was trying to block inside out, and then he tried to fan at the last moment, and those sides just ran the widest arc you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like, he didn't, I'm gonna go. All the way around this dude. You can't and the quarterback held me. the ball for like five seconds, and it was like yeah. fourth down. Yeah. So I was like, "What do you want?" You know, yeah. I didn't, I don't, I didn't consider that like a true rep loss, but I'm sure it made Osai feel somewhat Some good. Vindication. So oh he can at least go back to his buddies. See, I told he you he didn't own me all day. I got one against him. <laughs> really, really, you ran down the sideline to get it. Like it doesn't count. <laughs> Uh well we really appreciate having you today Mark this was this was I think my favorite interview I've ever done um before we let fun. you get out of here uh what do you got coming up what do you, what can you promote for the fine uh, bootleg audience to go check out guys this was a blast I mean anytime you can have a show sheet and just throw it out the window and just talk <laughs> that's kind of what we did and it was awesome sort, I love I love sort of our mo <laughs> yeah I loved every second of it this was a blast um thank you guys so much for having me um. Top 11 at each position over a touchdown wire. Um, my edges will go up on Friday. We're recording this Thursday. Um, and then I got linebackers and corners next week. Then Doug and I will do things like best scheme fits, top 50. Um, yeah, it's pretty much draft season now. We're handing on for dear life so we can get to the end of it, so we can get to Saturday night. And the draft is finally over. We can pour ourselves some stiff drinks and hit publish on our, our, all of our, you know, way too early 2022 mock drafts, which will all. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, believe no. me, I've got one in the works. No. Wait, Matt Corral, first overall, right? 
That's where we're no, at. Matt Corral goes to the Bears. I've already said this. <laughs> Matt Corral like, goes for, to the Bears. Overall, EJ, how about that? Yeah, I'll just I'll take him wherever you can get him. He's he's one of my guys for next it's year. It's gonna be a fun quarterback last year. No, man. Mark, can't thank you enough. This is tremendous. It's always great. If if our listeners are not following your work, they really should be. Doug's as well. Doug Farrar, your colleague over there at Touchdown Wire at USA Today. So thank you so much for time in a busy season. We really appreciate it. And I have a feeling we're going to have you back on. It's just a weird sense I got. I, 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 I would love to come back anytime, friends. This was a blast. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Mark. Uh, certainly one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. He's a great guy, does phenomenal work. Again, I can't recommend his stuff enough. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of Bootleg we've had in the year plus of doing this now. So, again, hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll be back next week uh, with another interview with a huge heavy hitter. We recorded with Dane Brugler last week, so we're going to be putting that one out. He puts out arguably the most comprehensive draft guide uh, really anywhere. He watches more people than, than anybody else. So, Dane's a great interview. We'll have that coming out soon. And until then... We'll see you later.